I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter number 20. And uh, uh, the verses we're going to look at tonight is verses 17 through the remainder of the chapter. We won't read them all now, but, uh, but we'll just start reading in uh, verse 17 and get a few verses read anyway. The Bible says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord uh, with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the line and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count all of my life, dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Let's read a couple more verses. Verse 25. And now behold, I know ye, uh, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Let's stop right there and ask the Lord's blessings. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for what it says to us and what it means to us. And I pray tonight that you would please help your word to come alive in our hearts and minds. Lord, uh, I would pray the same prayer that our preacher prays every time he preaches. Lord, don't let me say anything I shouldn't. And Lord, I pray you'd bring to my memory everything I've studied and everything I should communicate tonight. Lord, we need you. We can't do this without you. And so we pray that, that uh, Lord, we would open our hearts and our minds to you today. And I pray the Holy Spirit of God would do the work that we cannot do without you. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. Uh, you, you can be seated. I have several messages from this chapter in the book of Acts. 
And uh, this is probably one of the richest chapters in all of the New Testament for a preacher to go to. It's, it, it, it lends itself to many different subject matters within this, uh, within this chapter. And I've probably preached it, uh, you know, four, five, six different ways. And I love every, every angle and every uh, way that, that God's given me. But, but several weeks ago, as I was reading through uh, again, just reading through this chapter and the surrounding chapters, boy, the Lord just gave me a, a thought out of here that I really want to share with you tonight. How many of you work here at the church? I'm not talking about like as a staff member or something, but I'm talking about you work on a ministry team in some capacity or another. Would you raise your hand? That's a whole lot of us. Amen. Tonight, we are going to, I really want to address those of us that serve God here at Temple, out at Temple Fairview, and the message is for everybody, but, but it's specifically for those who are serving God in any capacity. You know, something really cool that happened to me one time, and um, I don't know that I've told this here or not, um, but it's a cool introduction and it fits. But several years ago when April and I worked at the Garden City Rescue Mission in Augusta, Georgia, we had a, a guest, an overnight guest for a, a guy that came in. He was a truck driver and he came in. He said he was stranded. They were working on his truck. It wouldn't be ready for a few days. And he wanted to know if he could stay at the mission instead of a motel because he didn't have a lot of money. And we said, hey, we'll take anybody. And uh, so this guy stayed a few days and a real nice guy, just, you know, seemed normal, just like the other people would come in out of the mission. But the day or two before he left, he came to my office and he said, hey, he said, I really need some extra money in my pocket before I leave town tomorrow. And I wanted to know if you would be interested in buying a couple of paintings from me. And I'm like, well, not really. At that time, I wasn't much into art, and uh, I didn't, never in a million years would I imagine he had any art that I would want to hang in my house, so I'm like, eh, not really. He said, man, are you sure? He said, I'll make you a good deal on them, and I, he said, I just need some gas money. I said, well, what do you got, you know? I'm figuring it's something he found in, in a dumpster or at the thrift store. He comes back in in a few minutes with two of the the prettiest Florida landscape paintings that you ever did want to see. They were framed in uh, in corner corner molding, like small uh, three-inch crown molding. And uh, in, in... And I thought, well, man, they're framed up kind of weird, but boy, I love these paintings. And and I looked at it, and the longer I looked, I thought, I thought I recognized this. I said, where are these paintings from? 
He said, oh, I did them myself. And I'm thinking, okay, pal. I said, it sure does look like where I grew up down in Fort Pierce, Florida. He says, I'm from Fort Pierce. And I'm like, sure, pal. (laughs) You know me. I'm not believing the word he says, but I'm like, well, I'm going to help the dude out. How much you want for him? And I don't remember now, something like $40 a piece. Is that what it was? And, and so I'm like, well, I happen for once in my life to have some cash in my pocket. Here you go. I'll take the paintings just because I'm from Florida and, you know, and, I, and I, I liked it. I hung them pictures up on my wall and there they were for several years in my office at the mission. Fast forward to when we moved to Coleman in 2009, we put them things up in our storage shed when we moved And they stayed in the shed until four or five years ago. And I was out in the shed one day and and, and I saw them pictures. And I got them down and I thought, man, I I really do love these. I'll see if April would want to put them in our bedroom. So I got the pictures down and I noticed the dude's signature, Willie Daniels. And I'm like, let me just for the fun of it, Google this guy and just see if he could have really been the one that painted them. Lo and behold, my little Google search informs me that Willie Daniels was one of the original 12 Florida Highwaymen artists from the 40s, 50s, 60s. I began to read. The internet's covered up with information about these people. There was 28 Florida highwaymen artists, one female, the rest were men. They were all African Americans on the treasure coast of Florida, based out of Fort Pierce, where myself and Pastor Malcolm and Malcolm Sr. are from. And these men started, they learned how to paint from a, from a very uh, accomplished artist named B.A. Bacchus. He trained them, but because these men were were African-American in that time period, they were shunned from the art galleries and forced to sell their artwork out of the the trunks of their cars along US-1 in in the Treasure Coast, like from Vero Beach down through Fort Pierce, Port St. Lucie, Stewart. And it caught on and they began to become well-known It wasn't until many years later that they were allowed to sell in art galleries and stuff. These men and one woman were so passionate about their artwork. Most of them were were citrus fruit pickers, which make a meager living. And they would paint and they found that, that they could use the art of the the, the artistic ability God gave them to literally lift themselves out of poverty. And that's what they did. Every single one of them is now famous. Their paintings are featured in, ah, I can't remember, but a nationally 
uh, big national museum of art. They're sold all over the world, and they're very well known. And the dude stayed at our homeless mission and sold me two of his paintings for gas money. The reason that this group, the highwaymen artists, the Florida highwaymen artists, are so well known today is because of the adversity they faced and the adversity they overcome through, uh, through racism and segregation. It is said as you read about them that they put their whole heart and soul into their paintings. They would paint on anything they could find. They couldn't afford the real stuff. They couldn't afford real framing. But they put their heart and soul in it. They bettered themselves. And in 2022, they're all famous. And world renowned. Because they put their heart into it. And that's the title of the message tonight. When your heart is in it. When your heart is in it. In this chapter of, uh, that we've been reading from, the Apostle Paul had spent three to maybe three and a half years laboring for the gospel in Ephesus. He's come to the end of that time in Ephesus. God has put it on his heart to go to Jerusalem. The, the biblical term is, he felt bound in his spirit to go to Jerusalem. And so he, he calls the elders of the church and he's given them his final farewell. And in our text that we've read and verses we will read in a minute, it's so evident that Paul, the Apostle Paul, put his entire heart and soul and being, not just in his ministry at Ephesus, but in, in his entirety of his ministry, from the time he got saved until the time God called him home. In other words, his heart was in it. Now, those of us that are ministering in any capacity, basically we can do one or two or three things. We can, you know, eh, serve begrudgingly against our will, kind of. Or we could serve, you know, happily but half-heartedly. Or we can put our entire heart into what God has called us to do. And we know that is the only option that God wants us to choose. Psalm 100, the, the scripture says, Psalm 100 and verse 2, I think, it says, serve the Lord with gladness. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 tells us to do the ministry of the Lord with all of our heart and we have a reward awaiting for us. Amen. I want to say this, every Christian should put their heart into their ministry because of the following outcomes that we find in these verses. So if we put our heart in it, there's going to be some outcomes. Some awesome outcomes. I want to give you those outcomes. Number one, 
we will be able to invest in the people God calls us to. When we put our heart in it, we will be able to invest in the people God has called us to. Everywhere the Apostle Paul went, he was investing in the lives of people. He said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. The Romans, he wanted to invest in them. And certainly he did with the uh, book of Romans. In, uh, in Philippians 1.7, Paul said, even as, uh, even as it is meet for me to thank this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Colossians 1.9. He told the Colossians, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The Apostle Paul was always trying to make deposits into the accounts of the people that God called him to minister to. And I think he could do that because it was not a half-hearted effort. Now, we don't have to be like uh, a rocket scientist to know that the people we minister to can perceive whether or not we want to be ministering to them. They used to say, well, people don't uh, care how much you know till they know how much you care. And that's very true. And, and people can tell whether or not we want to be there or not. People know if you genuinely care. Why will we be able to, to invest in the people God calls us to if our heart is in it? Well, two reasons. Number one, or A, because you'll have nothing to hide. You'll have nothing to hide. Verse 18 says this. He, and this is what he's telling these elders, okay? He says, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know, you get that? Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the line and weight of the Jews. In other words, the apostle Paul's like, hey, you guys know me. You know what I've done here. You know why I've done it. I think he's kind of saying, my life and my ministry is an open book. I have nothing to hide. And because of that, I have been able to invest in your lives. Now that's important because if I have to be looking over my shoulder or, or, or if I have to be faking it, then my true motives are being hidden. Yes. 
My true heart, I'm hiding it. And sooner or later, that's going to be exposed. That's going to come to the surface. That's going to come to light. And, 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 and it's hard to make investments when you're hiding something. Apostle Paul said, hey, you know. So let's put the shoe on the other foot. Whatever ministry you serve in, whether it's the children's ministry, whether it's uh, 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 the first impressions team, the missions and outreach team, uh, whatever team, can you look the people you serve honestly in the eyes and say something like, hey, you know what I've been about? Or would you have to say, you know, there's a lot of stuff you don't know about me. You really don't know that I hate this. You really don't know that the only reason I'm doing this is because my wife. We only got one car and she wants to, I'm just. You see where I'm going with that? If you and I want to make investments in the lives of people that will make a difference in the long run, we've got to put our heart into it because we'll have nothing to hide. Be underneath that. You'll be able to, uh, to invest in the lives of the people God calls you to because their profit will be your main concern. So here's the thing. When, when my heart's in it, that means the good of whoever I'm serving in my ministry is going to be my main concern. If money is my main concern, my heart ain't in it. And the, the people, the ones who should profit, and when I say profit, I don't mean monetarily, I mean profit from my investments in their lives or, or whatever. They're not going to be my main concern. We have people in our congregation who, who are singers. And they minister to people on the road. And thank God when they go on the road and set up their sound system and go to sing, because their heart's in it, they're not performing, they're ministering. And it's easy to think that way about singers or preachers or whatever. But what about if you work at Common Grounds? You realize that your main job is not to ring up the coffee and the Gatorades and take the right money and make the right change. I'm sure Dustin will appreciate the right change and all that. You can't be skimming off the top and putting it in your jeans pocket. But that's not the main reason you're there. The main reason you're there is to minister to the people that are thirsty. Or hungry if it's before church on Wednesday and we eat. In other words, our whole life is a ministry. And if you're not doing it with your whole heart, you will be a miserable minister. And that doesn't help anybody. Let me ask you this. Is your heart in it? Boy, this morning early, Tim Klein and I, we got to witness somebody whose heart was in their ministry 
And the cool thing is, he was at work. He wasn't doing ministry. But this man was ministering. We start, we get up about 5 o'clock on, on, on Wednesdays. By 6 a.m., we're out on the street visiting people who are homeless or unsheltered. We pass out uh, snack bags and in the summertime, cold waters. And we, we got to share the gospel with a couple people this morning. Um, this, that, and the other. And about 8 o'clock this morning, an Alabama state trooper called me and said to me, Travis, I'm trooper so-and-so. I got your number from, from this person. He said, I'm on Interstate 65 northbound, just north of the Hayden exit, exit 284, and there's a couple here, a family of three, and they're homeless, living out of their car. He said, it's a bad situation, and calling to see if your ministry can help. We were busy. We're supposed to be back here at 9 o'clock for a meeting. It's like 8.15, and I'm running through my mind, oh, man, if we go to Hayden, we won't be here for our meeting. We, you know, and, and so I started giving him some of the normal protocols. Well, uh, here's my phone number. Give it to them. They can, and you get their number. Give it to me, and, and, and we'll call them after a while and blah, blah, blah. Well, as the state trooper was talking to me, he began to, I thought I had a bad connection on my cell phone. Like literally, I, I'm like looking at my phone at first. It wasn't a bad connection. The problem was the trooper had a good connection and he was choked up on the phone, fighting back tears. And he just began to tell me, he said, Travis, he said, I deal with people, you know, like this. And he said, it just breaks my heart. And this man begins to cry on the phone. He said, I just couldn't leave him. I, I just couldn't. And when, he, when I heard that man's tears, you know you can hear tears? When I heard his tears, I just said, you know what? <laughs> Forget about the meeting. I said, just give us 20 minutes. We'll be there. He said, I'll be right here waiting. So we got down there. He's got his blue lights on and we pull up and we introduce ourselves. This man is red-eyed from where he's been crying. We go up, we meet the family. They were completely out of gas. We went and got them some gas in a can, put in there and, you know, all this stuff. And me and Tim watched this state trooper who was just how you'd expect him to be, big, tall, strong, pressed uniform, the awesome hat, no nonsense, all business. We watched that man right before we left lean over the driver's side of that car and minister to this family with tears in his eyes. And he told them, and this was a very low-functioning family, just a mess, in their car for days, a mess. And he told them, he said, whatever you do, listen to these two men right here that have come to help you. He said they're from a church group and their best interests are at, are at heart here, or your best interests. They have your best interests at heart. He, and, and the people were kind of scared and nervous. And, and he said, whatever you do, do whatever they tell you. 
They will help. And, and he's just sitting there, you know, kind of giving them a godly lecture with tears in his eyes and pouring out. You'd have thought, and he might be a preacher. for He was a preacher on the side of I-65. I promise you that. He was telling them this is a divine appointment. God sent me here for you. Now God has sent these men here for you. And if you'll listen and let them, they'll help you. And God, am I telling it right? And God will bless you. And I sat there in awe at a professional. And by the way, I hope this trooper's commanding officer or whatever ain't watching this, but the car ain't have no tag. Uh, it looked like it just came through the Battle of Armageddon that Preacher Malcolm been looking at, uh, preaching about. It had no business on the road. Tickets and warnings and, and, and all that, citations, was the farthest thing from this state trooper's mind. What was on his mind was getting this poor family the help that they so desperately needed. I was blown away. It was obvious that that state trooper's heart was in what he was doing at his work today. Now here's what's a shame. If that state trooper who deals with some of the craziest stuff that that you could ever imagine, like all law enforcement does, if he can stand in the hot sun uh, uh, and minister to a family in a car on the side of the road... But if we can't do that right here in the house of God. You see where I'm going? Our heart's got to be in it. And really it don't matter if you have a ministry or not. That trooper showed me today your life, your job. It should be your ministry. He's got him a pretty big ministry. Let me give you number two. Outcome number two. When our heart is in it, We'll be able to make it through the uncertain times. So, mark it down. (laughs) Uncertain times are coming, amen? Amen. Verse 24. Well, in verse 22 and 23, Paul said, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there. So he's like, I don't know what's going to happen, but, but God's done told me something bad's going to happen when I get there. Then in verse 24, he says, he, he says, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, why can verse 24 be in there? I'll tell you why. Because his heart was in it. He could make it through the uncertain times of his life and ministry because he had full confidence in God because he was holding nothing back. His whole heart was in it. He gave himself completely to God. God, here I am. I'm yours. And the winds of life, they battered him and they blew him around. But they did not detour him. His heart was in it. 
I like this. In verse 24, he said, so that I might finish my course with joy. He was still on his course at that point, right? Deep in the the muck and mire of ministry. And he said, hey, I don't count my life dear to myself. and, And here I go. None of these things move me so that I might finish my course. Then you fast forward over to 2 Timothy 4, 7. At the end of his ministry, and Paul said, I I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. In other words, his I might turn into I have. If we want to come down to the end of this thing and be able to say like he did, I have finished my course, we better get us a big old dose of I might right now. Amen. So we'll be able to make it through the uncertain times because God's will becomes more important than, than our life when your heart's in it. Now, if the, if, if the heart's not in it, probably what's going to become the most important is our own will, our own wants, our own needs, our own desires, our own flesh. If our heart is not in it, we will be prone to run when difficulties arise. If our heart is in it, we'll be prone to buckle down, hunker down, pray more, read more, study more, cry out to God more, and make it more. B, underneath that, You'll be able to make it through uncertain times because your conviction will become stronger than the voices around you. So so when our heart is in it, the conviction about what we're doing for God becomes stronger than all the noise. Now, there was a lot of noise around the Apostle Paul. Matter of fact, in, uh, in chapter 21, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I promise you this, a half-hearted Christian can't say that with a straight face. That ain't happening. That's coming from a true blue follower of Jesus. He, He said, what are you trying to do? Make me weep and you trying to break my heart? He said, I'm past all that. I'm ready, if it's necessary, to die for the name of our Lord Jesus. And check this out. Then he says, and when he would not be persuaded, we ceased. You want to know how to get the noise to stop? Don't give in. <laughs> Follow God. God will take care of the noise. God will take care of the naysayers. God will take care of the people. 
they ceased and they just said, hey, the will of the Lord be done. <laughs> well, that's what the Apostle Paul was going to do the whole time anyway. And he could do it because his heart was in it. And because his heart was in it, his conviction became strong. Stronger than the voices around him. Now listen. If we're not people of conviction, what are we? I mean, we've got to grab a good old-fashioned dose of I know my Redeemer liveth. We've got to decide to decide that we're following Jesus regardless. He gave His life for me, so I give my life for Him. This come to church on Sunday or, or, or Wednesday or, or whatever and, and then live another way during the week. Man, that don't cut it. We talked to another fella this morning. We stopped on the side of the road. We, we saw a fella with a buggy and all kinds of stuff. And we thought he looked like a good candidate to witness to. So we stopped and we talked to that guy. And I did my best to turn the conversation spiritual and witness to him, testify to him. And his response was, I guess I'll find out when I get there. I'll talk about heaven or hell. And he legit said, I just feel like I'll find out when I get there. And I said, man, when you get there, it's too late. He went, oh, well, that's just how I've always seen it. And I gave him a few scriptures and I quoted Romans 3.23 to him and Romans 6.23 and Romans 10.13. And I thought for sure some of them was going to get him, right? <laughs> Boy, they got me when Malcolm Sr. began to quote them to me that day on August 1st, 1994. Yeah. My spiritual birthday is just around the corner. Y'all can send me gifts, amen? <laughs> August 1st, my spiritual birthday. My mama texted me just a couple days ago and said, do you know what today is? And I'm like, what I miss? No. She said, it's my spiritual birthday. She got saved. Then she began to witness to me, and then I got saved. And this fella, he was just, when we left, he was as unconvinced as when we pulled up. Take it or leave it. The child of God ought not be that way. Matter of fact, I quoted him that verse over 1 John, maybe 1 John 5, uh, 13 maybe. Um. I, heck, I don't know what it says now. It's that one, uh, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. I quoted that verse. I said, man, you can know and you need to know. Eh, I'll find out when I get there. Listen, a take it or leave it attitude might suffice a lost person who doesn't understand. But it ain't no place for you and I who sit week in and week out under the preaching, some of the best preaching in, a, in a, the world right here. And I'm not talking about me, of course. I'm talking about Preacher Malcolm week in and week out. We are without excuse. 
We have the tools necessary, the knowledge necessary. We have the support system necessary. Now we just need to get on our knees, commit ourselves to God, put our hearts in it 110% and consider everything else we do secondary to the work of God that he wants us to accomplish. Let me give you outcome number three. Let me ask you this before I move on. Do you want to be able to make it through the uncertain times? Put your heart in it. Amen. Number three. We should put our heart into our ministry because we will be able to trust God for the results. In verse 32, when he's fixing to sail off, and he's saying this final farewell... Here's what he said to the brethren. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. I believe what the Apostle Paul was communicating to them was this. I'm trusting God to take care of you. I commend you to God. I have done my part. I've worked hard. He told them. He said, hey, I'm, I'm pure from the blood of all men. You know what that literally means? If any of them died and went to hell, it's not because the Apostle Paul did not warn them. Man, I, 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 I wonder if the blood of anyone's going to be on my hands because, I, because of dereliction of duty on my part. I would have to say, yeah, there's, there's, there's probably going to be some. And I was thinking about that this morning when I was talking to the, to the guy on the side of the road, Tim. Our interaction with him was short and brief. We may never see him again. But I was thinking in my mind, while he was pulling his little wagon, I'm going to load his wagon because I don't want to be the one who had the chance to tell him about Jesus and warn him, but didn't. How dare we keep silent when the souls of men and women and boys and girls hang in the balance. Now here's the thing. It's not our job to save them. It's our job to warn them. You'll be able to trust God for the results because there is peace in knowing you have done all you can do. So that's what I want to, to accomplish every day. Like I want to lay my head down on my pillow at night knowing... I did all I could do that day. I witnessed everybody I could. I tried with effort. I didn't show up at work half ready. If my heart's not in it, it's always going to be halfway. When my heart's in it, I can't help but think about, man, I want to do this. I was thinking this afternoon. 
after getting home at 5 o'clock or whenever I did, we, I left the house at 5.30, got home about 5.30, and was happy as I could be because we were on the streets, we helped people, we were able to answer a call and, and really help a family out. And prayerfully, y'all pray that this family allows our case manager, Deborah, to, to, to help them even further in the morning. She'll be meeting with them. But on, on a day like this one, man, we gave it our all. You know how it feels. You go to work and you, you put in a good effort and you just have that feeling of after a hard day's work. It feels good to know you've put in a hard day's work. That's how our spiritual work should feel. Done all I could. And there's peace in knowing you've done all you could do. In verse 31, it says, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. I bet the Apostle Paul would really like that state trooper we met today. That'd be the Apostle Paul's kind of, kind of trooper, amen? Because he had tears on the side of the road. In verse 26, he says, Wherefore, I take you to record that I am pure from the blood of all men. That's how he was able to trust God for the results. But here's the thing. If we're given a half effort, hard to trust God when we don't have that peace in our heart. That, hey, now that I've done all I can do, God, it's time for you to work. How are we going to ask God to do his part when we don't do ours? We have these fundraisers a lot of times for our ministry. And every time we have a fundraiser, it's like God reminds me, Travis, I will bless it. I'll, I'll, I'll have plenty of people to give. But son, you got to go do your part. You need to pray. You need to ask. You need to seek. All that stuff. And when I'm not doing my part, I'm worrying. Is it? Tara can testify. April can testify. Everybody knows they can testify. If I'm not, you know, I'm just worrying, oh, man, are we going to make it? We, when I do my part, that's when I'm like, God's got this. Listen, some of you may be dealing with a lack of confidence simply because your heart's not in it. Put your heart in it. Then you'll have that peace that you've done your part and God's going to do His. Man, there's no better feeling for someone in the ministry than that. And we're all in the ministry. At least we all should be. Let me give you number four. The last outcome that we'll have when our heart is in it is that we will be able to give more than we receive. Now, I like this point here. We'll be able to give more than we receive. I thought it was so fitting that verse 25 is in this same chapter. That verse says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, here's the thing. Ministry is demanding. I don't care what kind it is. 
Why is ministry so demanding? Newsflash, people are demanding. (laughs) Yes, sir. We'll be there in 10 minutes. Three minutes later, the phone rings. Where are you at? We'll be there in seven minutes. (laughs) Ministry's demanding. And if our heart's not in it, we'll become miserable. Or at best, disconnected. Which leads to misery. And so, Paul said... To remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because in the ministry, you're going to have to be able to give more than you receive. That's just how it is. That's not possible if our heart's not in it. Here's the cool thing. We'll be able to give more than receive because when our heart is in it, receiving is not the focus. You show me somebody whose heart's in it, the last thing on their mind is what they can get out of it, out of whatever it is. Last thing on that trooper's mind today was writing a ticket. He didn't care about that. He cared about them because his heart was in it. You know, the the last thing uh, on on a minister's mind should be how much money's in his paycheck this week. uh, Now, now they need to pay him enough money where he ain't got to wonder. Say amen right there. He ought not have to wonder, ever. But a true minister, that's not what he's thinking about. He's thinking about, man, I need to study so I can give them the word of God, so I can help them, so I can counsel, so I can whatever it is. When your heart's in it, receiving is just not your focus. Philippians 4, 16 and 17 says, For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once again unto my necessity." Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So this is what Paul said that to the, to the Philippian church. He said, hey, when I was in Thessalonica ministering, you Philippians sent once and again to my necessity. You supported me financially. You helped me out. And Paul said, it wasn't because I desired that gift. I didn't want your money. It wasn't so I could have more money. He says it was because I desired fruit to abound in your account. Because Paul knew that spiritual principle that as they invest, God is going to give them fruit. And the the, the, the B right there underneath number four, you'll be able to give more than you receive because we will work for what we want. Preacher Malcolm says this all the time. He says, if you want it, you'll get it. You'll figure out a way, right? And and that's true of most of us. If we want it, we'll we'll shuffle the cards. We'll we'll rearrange the budget. We're going to get what we want. We're going to do what we want. And it's just a basic principle of life. When our heart's in it, we'll be able to give more than we receive Because we will work for what we want. And if what we want is to give our whole heart to the Lord's work, that is what we'll be working for. And we can do it 
with all of our heart. You know, when we were in the Philippines a few years ago, I think maybe 2016, uh, I'm like the Lord. One day is as a thousand years. I can't remember dates. Anyway, April got really sick. I'm talking about real sick, not with the flu or nothing like that, with these autoimmune diseases and things, and she was not doing well. And one morning, she got up, and she didn't make it to the bathroom. She fell over or passed out on the hard tile floor. Slap her head, side of her head hit the floor. I jumped out of the bed. I thought she was gone. I'm like, really? Over here on the mission field? You're just gone? You know? I see, it was scared me to death. She had to spend the next several days in the hospital having all kind of tests run and all this and that and the other. Well, um, I, I started to say just now that I thought for sure she'd want to go home, but I, I, really I never thought that. Any normal person would have been like, Get me out of this third world country. I, I, if, if that's how God's going to treat me, listen, she's in a, in a hospital, the paint peeling off the walls, no air conditioning, the bed's rusted. I'm talking about, it's just awful. If you need medicine, your family member has to go across the street to the pharmacy, buy it, bring it back to the nurse and say, give this to her. Crazy. But that's how it works over there. And I'm thinking, thank God her heart's in it. Because if not, when she gets better, she'd be shooting me. (laughs) There she is laid up in the hospital for a week. All she was caring about was, how's my babies? She wasn't talking about Hunter and Sarah. (laughs) She's talking about the street kids that we minister to. She's like, I'm sure Hunter and Sarah are okay. How's Virgilio and Bernardo? How's Angela? How's, how's Angelica? How's Anna Marie? All those homeless kids we minister to. And man, I got to tell you, I just, day after day, I just marveled. I'm like, if the roles was reversed, I'd be like, call Preacher Malcolm, send Air Force, National Guard, whoever you got to send, get me home. I, I, I don't know, take me somewhere, but here. Yeah. Not her. Her mind was on them youngins we minister to. Amen. And it clicked during that time period. It's because her heart's in this. But here's the thing. It's no different whether you're a missionary over in a Uh, what looks like a battlefield hospital or if you work at Common Grounds or you work greeting or in the parking lot crew. Our heart's got to be in it to do it right. And I gave you four solid outcomes. This is what's going to happen if our heart's in it. So I want you tonight, commit your heart unto the Lord. Maybe there's somebody here that needs to recommit themselves or resurrender to whatever God's called you to and say something like, you know, Lord, I want to be yours. 
I want to do this with all of my heart. I want to serve you with a fresh fervency. And I want it to matter.